Whether you are an individual or a business, if you're looking to create a great podcast or professional audio or video content, check out Black Bear Media. Find more information at blackbearmedia.net or email us at info at blackbearmedia.net. You're listening to More Than This, the podcast where Christian faith and reason explore reasons for Christian faith. Life's not a sequence program from the sky Life's a storm in woven up Down, in and out Like stitches in if you enjoy our show, please consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month on Patreon. Check out our site at www.patreon.com forward slash more than this pod. Thank you. We haven't been able to go as many places as of late, but places and a sense of place provide great meaning and stability in our lives. Author and minister Anna Wuffenden joins us to talk about the importance of place and how places become sacred in our lives. Enjoy. All right, so welcome to More Than This. I'm excited. Fall for me feels like the start of the new year, and I have a fall feeling today. I've just, if anybody is an autumn fan like I am, we have a guest with us today. Anna Wuffenden is here. We'll hear from her in a second and have a great conversation with her. But uh, Brooke is back, fresh from some uh, COVID responsible travel, Absolutely. full of full of face shields. Uh, Brooke, <laughs> welcome back. Thank you. Good to see you, David. Yeah. So uh, we're excited, and this week we're talking about something that I don't think a lot of people think about. We inhabit these all the time. We're going to talk about place today, hmm. and that sounds sort of heady, maybe, but we form relationships with physical spaces and others in those spaces all the time, mm-hmm. and that has some pretty significant spiritual impact and resonance for us. Obviously, over millennia, different religious congregations and communities meet in physical spaces, and those spaces have become very meaningful. But as part of during during COVID-19, a lot of those have been taken away from mm-hmm. us. We're going to introduce Anna. Anna, welcome to More Than This. So glad to be here. And I'm really excited about this topic. This is so, This is one of those things that you know, you're gonna have to limit the the amount of time we can talk about. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, good. I'm just like like licking my chops yeah, over here. I'm like, I like yes. the sound of that. Yeah. <laughs> so Anna has a really interesting background. So um, we're gonna let her talk about that herself. But we we sort of spied some things about Anna's past and and some of the communities that she's helped form, and had some very sort of different takes when it came to spiritual community and place. Anna, as we have you on to have this conversation about place, I wonder if you could tell our listeners some about some of the work that you've done and some of the alternative spaces and passions that you've worked in in forming spiritual community. Absolutely. So the most notable one and the one that um, I just have a book that just came out about the story of this this particular place, which is the Garden Church in San Pedro, which is on the outskirts of Los Angeles. Um, we took an empty lot um, in the middle of an, an urban area, um, also an area that has some food insecurity and um, and a lot of variety of needs and a variety of gifts. And we took this empty lot and turned it into an urban farm and an outdoor sanctuary where we would work together and worship together and eat together. And that in that space, we were had the goal of feeding in body and mind and spirit. So um, the very first thing we did when we started the the church there and we started it as a six month experiment pop up, you know, what can we grow food wise and community wise on this empty lot in six months? That's how long we can get the lease. Let's, let's give it a try. Um, which I think is interesting in terms of place as well, that it was, it, it was a short term commitment, but to say this, what can we do with this place? What can this place teach us? Um, but the very first thing we did when we opened the gates to that empty lot was we placed a big cedar stump in the middle and consecrated it as God's table where all were welcome to feed and be fed. And all sorts of things happened around that table over time. Um, but that was at the the core of it. And it was the, at the core of the, the physical space. But also from that, obviously, the, the spiritual space and the communal space was centered around this idea of God's table where all are welcome to feed and be fed, be that spiritually, physically, 
coming in on a Friday afternoon to, you know, plant some carrots, sharing communion and worship together on Sunday afternoon, being a little toddler, playing around stump on a Tuesday morning. All of that was was within this sacred space and place and around God's table where all were welcome. That, man, that is that is so interesting. You know, I just made me think, uh, Brooke, a lot of, I don't know if you both have, what your background was. We used the, the uh, expression growing up uh, when we would talk about our faith, we would say we were raised in the church. Uh, and that just usually means you were raised attending a church of some type. But I like to tell people, no, I was actually raised in the church. My mom was like the administrative assistant for our church. And the church was where I played during the week, which really belied the rules of our building. Like the informal rules about our space was that you didn't run, you didn't raise your voice. And I knew that on Sunday, but Monday through Friday when I was there, I raised holy hell. You know what I mean? Like that was like, you know, like I'd just run around and scream and like, jump off of pews and, and, you know, and it was like weird to have these multiple sets of rules, but Anna, the space you're talking about is literally without walls and is open. Um, and I just think that's such a, such a cool picture that most people, if they have a place in mind that, that may mark their, their spiritual religious community, it's, it's bounded, uh, in, in ways and, and it has rules about it. And I think sometimes rules and the sacred go together and I, I'm not saying that's all bad, but just hearing that it's a space that somebody could just kind of wander into and learn the sacred nature of it a different way instead of seeing an imposing like building and saying, well, that's a sacred space and I can't really get into it or there's one way in. There are many ways into yours, like very literally and figuratively. That sound, that just sounds really cool. I think there's something really, one of the things that we, was one of our values and I think we saw was that it was a permeable space and a porous space. Um, but it's interesting that it also was a defined space. So this particular lot um, was between two buildings. So there are brick walls on either side and there was a fence at the back and a fence at the front. And, um, and that was something we thought a lot about like in different spaces we looked at because some lots weren't fenced and we, you know, really examined that and talked about what would that be like? And um, there are many reasons why this particular place was was where we started and actually where the church continues to to farm and right now they're primarily gathering on zoom but but food production is still happening and that there's something sacred in that um and the stump still is there and it it turned out that that particular space continues to be the home of this particular community um but i think it was really interesting to think about um how do you do permeability and a particular container of a culture that was, you know, within those gates, we were looking for the image of God in all people. Within those gates, you treated all people with respect. Within those gates, we didn't threaten one another physically or verbally. And if that was, if that happened, that was a behavior that was not welcome there. You know, that there was something also about the container that was important. Um, which I think is something that we, you know, as as people of faith and people of thinking about gathering together as in faith and sacred space, it's what makes it non-bounded and, you know, not the rigid walls and rules, but also what makes something a container that is specific. And I think it was so interesting at the Garden Church because, so we would have worships um, on Sunday afternoons and sometimes, you know, noonday prayer services. So there were times with explicit worship. But most of the time that we were open, it was for open garden time or the, you know, volunteers working or farmer's market. I mean, the, the, the gates were open many times when we weren't doing something explicitly churchy. Um, and yet, and people would enter in. I mean, one of my favorite things, people would be like, your sign says the garden church. Where's the church? Oh, you're standing in the church. No, 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 no. where's the church? And, you know, depending on how much I wanted to, like, give them a hard time, I'd go back and forth a number of times with this. And then I would finally say, no, like, because they, they're looking for a building. Like, oh, are, or are you associated with a church? Like, maybe your church is three blocks over. And it was like, no, this is, this is where, you know, we have a worship service on Sunday afternoons. It happens right here. This is where we eat together. You know, and 
kind of, but that people didn't think church when they saw it. But people experienced it as a sacred space, as a sanctuary space. And I think that's something really interesting too about, um, about gardens and about nature and um, that there was some sense of something loving, something peaceful, something kind is happening here. And they might not name it as church, but people could name it as sacred. And I think that's just a such, and I don't know, you know, is that because they were talking to a pastor who had a caller? I mean, like on, or is that because there is some like spiritual emanation that comes when we consecrate sacred space? Probably all of the above. I don't know, you know, but, but I think there is something really interesting about um, spaces that don't look typically religious and yet people experience them as explicitly sacred and do you think anna because it didn't look typically religious as you said there was a greater sense of a welcome or hospitality for certain kinds of people absolutely so you know i think there were certainly people that would have never had any interest in going into a church who came into the garden and and some just came to garden and that was fine too. I think that was part of it as well is that, um, I mean, I had a lot of visions and hopes, but I didn't have a lot of agendas for the specific people. And I think that was really important that if you wanted to come, even on a Sunday afternoon for our gathering, we'd work together in the garden for an hour, we'd worship together and we eat together. And that was a cohesive whole. That was our weekly gathering. That's what people would call like Sunday morning church, right? Like that was, and, but there was no expectation that you had to do all three or that any were a requirement for any other one. And so, you know, we had some agnostics and atheists who were really committed to the mission and they were there every Sunday at two 30 to get set up and they would garden and they would, when it came time to worship and, you know, probably 95% of the people in the space were gathering together for worship. They'd keep gardening or they'd slip out and that was fine. There was no, there's no shame in that. Or some people didn't want to work and didn't want to eat. They just came for the worship part. Others would just come for the meal. Um, we did a big community meal and would say, um, depending on the day, but I think the the general kind of settled out that at least about half of the people there were people that we wouldn't didn't have a home and a kitchen to cook their own meal. Um, and then many of us might have been eating at home on our own. Or if so, it was you know, we had this big community meal and people, would, some people would just come for the meal or they come for communion and then the meal because we'd move straight from communion into the, into the meal. And I think that that freedom and permeability was really important and that there was a safety in terms of, um, particularly people who had been maybe hurt or burned by church in the past that I wasn't forcing or saying like, okay, well, c- come and garden, but really... <laughs> really what needs to happen is you're going to need to believe a certain way so as so that we can accept you. You know, it was like, oh, okay. Um, and, um, and I watched people, you know, I'm thinking about someone who, um, whose spouse and child started coming and um, he had, he had, you know, some mixed experience. He would start coming for the meal at first and then came for communion. And then like, it just kind of like backed up and then started coming for church and then started getting more involved. Like, I just think that there was a freedom there um, that was embodied in the physical space, but there was also a, a religious space and a theological space and a community culture that just said, wherever you're at, like, you're welcome here. And we believe that we hope you can be fed in some way. And we also honor that you will have something to offer and, you know, and you can engage however it is that you want to engage. Um, There's such a reciprocal nature between these things of like how the rituals that you take on rituals sounds like a really fancy religious or sociological word, but sort of the things you do more than once and you kind of repeat together, they, they really adhere to the physical space that you're in. And the physical space also kind of infuses those rituals as well. And like it, it just is so interesting. And they all rise to this this sort of phenomenon of place that we talk about. For me, I was I was raised in you know a 
very traditional church building, very traditional sort of evangelical church. And I attended a Catholic university. I went to Notre Dame for grad school and, um, we poo pooed the Catholics uh, growing up. Now my brother is Catholic. He and his family are Catholic. So it's, it's really fun to see my mom. My mom's actually been very gracious about it. Uh, so I don't really understand that. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for that, but I would go to the grotto at Notre Dame and it's this weird sort of outdoor space, but then very religious on one side, but there's a lake next to it and trees. And I had sort of a crap time in grad school when I was there. And I, I don't even, I didn't plan to talk about this, but it just sort of like got me thinking. Um, I go back to the, like, sometimes I just feel like I need to get back there when life doesn't make sense. Um, and even before I ever went to Notre Dame, I went to undergrad an hour away and I discovered Notre Dame and I would go there to pray just as I walked mm-hmm. around campus. Like I went to a very conservative evangelical school. Um, but I remember praying in the grotto one day and I felt like people were praying with me. Like, cause so many mm-hmm. people have prayed there before and you wouldn't know that just to, I mean, you would kind of get the sense of it, but it's just like asphalt and then candles and a bad statue of Mary and like fake hewn out rock. That well, might be real. I don't know. But like, I just remember so much had gone on there before that nobody had to tell me the legacy of it told me itself. And I feel like your garden, like a lot of it would, would self perpetuate that story. And like the rituals that were there start to tell the story of the space and the space holds that story really well. Um, and you walk into something, right? You walk into something. It's not just, you know, whatever the address is like, and the latitude and longitude, you walk into something and it's living and it's there. And that's, that's what place is. And it's so interesting that we get to experience that as humans. It's just crazy. I think that something that strikes me as you're talking too is that, um, so there were, there were two, I would say, main, I don't want to say abnormal, that's not the word I'm looking for, but like not your typical church <laughs> things that were going on, right? One was that it was outdoors. And so there's this outdoor nature to it so you have you know there's wind there's rarely rain in southern california there's heat um there's dirt there's temperature change you know there's these these things that are that are nature and and there's growing things and there's beauty and you have and and you know eat the tomato fresh off the vine like there's this this nature and agriculture piece. But then it also, it was an urban space. So, and I think this is a piece, I think, that um, I have realized in reflecting back on the Garden Church, even that had a even bigger impact than I was aware of. I think I focused more on the like, we're outdoors. That's what makes us, <laughs> you know, different or open or whatever it is. Um, but looking at the difference between the experience of worshiping, say, like, so I'm a college chaplain at Amherst College now, and I take the students pre-COVID on what we call holy hikes. So, you know, we take the worship service and take it out to a beautiful place and, you know, have the prayers alongside the stream and have communion at the top of the mountain. And, and that does something. And I think, and it, and, you know, we could talk about what, what does that do? Um, in reflecting more, I realized that the fact that the Garden Church was in the middle of an urban space was a huge piece of what formed it. And so people are walking by on the sidewalk, right? People with, with needs, with gifts, with opinions, with, you know, um, helicopters are flying overhead, sirens are going by commerce is happening or not happening people are living in the parking lot in the you know alleyway behind the buildings and that to be a set apart sacred space in the middle of a urban space was a it was a whole different angle right it was a whole different angle in and that people who never attended church, I mean, by the time I left, and this has, this has continued to grow with the current pastors, that people that would never have considered themselves part of the church, 
had no religious interest or affiliation came to feel that the garden church was their church because it was in this neighborhood and that, you know, I would walk down the street and I would hear, you know, Hey, Reverend Anna, Hey pastor. Like it, that this was a sacred space for the neighborhood, for the community and that they could belong to it. They could be part of it. They could feel, feel it was theirs. Even if they didn't join in the way we would think of it joining, but, but that was because of its, its place, its location. That, that is so interesting. That mutuality of belonging, that space belonged to those, that community and the community started to, yeah, the, the idea of belonging in place is really, really important. Um, and one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation too is I think just that, that that connection between feeling a sense of belonging and feeling in space, in a place. Um, we don't get to go as many places now that we might have felt like we belonged to before, right? We're in a pandemic. Right. And Anna, I'd, I, how has that been for you? Because you, you just said that you, you, uh, you're, you, do cha- you have a chaplain role at a college, and that's a, a vital space full of inquisitive minds and people at sort of a fertile time in their development. Um, and that has physical spaces that you go to, and we're probably starting up again. And I, I'm a university prof, and I know that's going to look really stinking weird this year. Um, yep. <laughs> but, <laughs> Don't get us started on that conversation. <laughs> I know, I know. Separate podcast. Oh, oh my gosh, we could talk a while. Non-recorded about that. podcast. Non-recorded, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, With yeah. lots of bleep, bitty bleep, bleeping <laughs> on that podcast. Yeah, we, we we probably would just let it roll on that one. Uh, so, what has it been? How have, how have you experienced longing for place uh, and perhaps redefined sense of senses of place during the pandemic? I feel like my sense of place in the last, how long are we at now? Almost six months, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah. Um, has both expanded globally in this way. And I feel like this part's fading, but I feel like early on in the lockdown, I felt like there was this like global bringing together, right? Like we're all in this together. And suddenly like I was, I was looking at the numbers of cases internationally. And I was, you know, like it was like I broadened, out to this global interconnected web in a way that felt really heartbreaking, but also profound. There was something like global view. And at the same time, I feel like I zoomed in to, you know, this first floor apartment in an old house in Northampton, Massachusetts with my spouse and myself. And, and how do we, you know, how do we interact with our neighbors on the next two floors, right? Like, it was just like, like, right there. Um, And, I mean, my mind goes a lot of different directions with this question. One of the things that I have noticed for myself is that my physical space, um, we have a small, small little apartment, and um, my husband's a a, um, professor, so he all of his work came home so we set him up at the kitchen table um and i have a little office and so i was doing all my work from home and um i had have found and over the summer that i have done a lot of reorganizing of our space and to figure out how do you make distinct space within a little apartment where you are working and you are resting and you are praying and you are reading and you are trying to have, you know, fellowship, you know, you're having a zoom call with your siblings and you're what all these different pieces. Um, and that also trying to develop ritual for coming and going. So how do I know when my office is, a workplace and when it's the place where my sewing machine is and I'm, you know, working on a project or like, how, how do we, you know, the dining room table, half of it is now my husband's office. And during dinner, it's really important to me that we are sitting at our dining room table. Yes. We're not sitting at his office, you know, and, and, it, and if his eyes start to go over to his computer screen, 
I have a reaction, right? And he, I'm sure, could tell many, you know, stories of me in, in this way too. So um, I think the attentiveness to, to place has, has uh, become very particular and small. Um, and I don't mean small in a, well, sometimes it feels confining, but, it, but particular, like I need to, to be really conscious and particular about space. And I totally rearranged my office this summer. It was kind of the moment where I was like, this is not ending anytime soon. And I was like, I did totally rearrange because I was like, I need to have a resting place, a working place. I need to have a chair that actually is like good for my back to sit at my computer. <laughs> you know, like I need to, I need to be able to make this a space that, that, um, that, that can work. But the other thing that I have noticed for myself is I, so we're in this, um, this old house. And so we do, we kind of have a shared yard. It's not really even quite a yard. Um, but there's some sidewalks and there's a little back porch area with a little, like, not really a patio, but concrete. Um, and so I put in a garden this year and that was the first time I have been able to put in my own garden for quite a while. And that was a lifesaver. And that has been a lifesaver for my just mental and spiritual um, well-being as well to be able to, again, zoom in, it's right here, but to be able to cultivate and to be able to be watching something grow and change um, has been been really powerful for me. Um, I have some more thoughts on that question, but I feel like I should pause. <laughs> I think th I liked that last part you brought up too. Um, so much of we we maybe sort of uh, imposed this on this time, but we keep saying that life is on hold, but that's that's completely untrue, right? Life goes on, um, but I think w that's a proxy for something, right? It feels like a lot of the ambitions and things we sort of would count on to mark time and mark progress and mark vitality are not available to us. So even the idea of fostering life during this time where we, we kind of say life is on pause, I think that feels really important to me. I just, we have a, a friend who they were, uh, she and her husband had been looking to maybe move out of the, the place where they were. And they decided, you know, during COVID, it was a terrible time to try to sell a house and move. So they're like, we're staying and her instant reaction was she's never had them before. She's like, I want chickens. Like, I want chickens and huh. I want a, I want a new golden retriever puppy. She's a therapist. And wow. they had a, a it's it's Teresa, you know oh, her. Yeah. Um it, they had a golden retriever that died a few years ago and they got another dog, but didn't scratch the itch. So now they have a golden retriever and six chickens. And chickens. And <laughs> she's like, I need something to nurture, like you know. Yeah. But it's interesting that that's sort of been called out. I think of a lot of us, and, and maybe we couldn't have put our finger on that before. Um, it might have always been there. Maybe maybe you are more acutely aware of that. Um, and you you're you're so right about dividing space. I redid my office too, and I couldn't have cared two hoots before. Like I am so pragmatic. I was just like I had other spaces that I worked. This just felt like kind of a flop house for me. Like I would send emails from there for like an hour a day, but now I'm like living in there you know i'm there like six to eight hours a day <laughs> and it looks completely different i'm like oh i need to clean up like i need mm -hmm. to like get some furniture and a place to sit um yeah uh, brooke i don't know how how it's been for you brooke you have a newer a newer to you house like how have you sort of uh negotiated space and place during this time i think in a similar way that anna talked about it I think well, this is also my the first house I've ever bought, and I just bought it one year ago. And so the timing of it is very interesting, like really wanting grounding, you know, after coming back from the Netherlands and really wanting like a bit of space. And then having so much disappear, it really allowed me to like, okay, how do I, I also planted a garden. <laughs> so I, I'm nodding my head to what you said regarding the garden too, or this daily, I think when I house it, sat for you and and Kara, David, uh, there was two weeks where I had to walk their dogs every day. And I thought, oh, maybe I want a dog. Like, that's such a lovely ritual. Like, I'm really into like daily, daily ritual right now, because I'm such a 
creative, like free spirit person. And I'm realizing like, I'm longing for ritual. But then I realized, no, I don't want a dog. I just want a garden that I have to go out (laughs) and weed and water and just gaze at. Sometimes I just walk out and gaze at it and I do nothing because it's fine. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah. What what spaces would you say you guys have been missing? What what places have you been missing that have really come up in your spirit, I would say, not just like I like one an Annie Ann's pretzel once in a while. I'm a carboholic, so like I want like a soft pretzel, but like there are other spaces like I really, really miss that that are more like soul level, like identity threatening level. Have have you felt those at all? I mean, I think this feels like kind of an obvious answer as you know religious folk like i i miss being around the eucharist table and that has been um that has really just not being able to partake but also honestly preside and share communion um is something that i have missed and um so the other thing i've been doing in the pandemic is i took on an interim gig starting in april somewhat unexpectedly which so try to get to know a new congregation virtually. Um, and wow. uh, and it's about an hour away. So um, I had not physically met anyone, but also hadn't even seen their space or their town. I'd never been to the town um, until mid-July when we had an outdoor parking lot service. This is what has been working for us here to be able to be able to safely gather. Um, everyone you know, stays in their cars and um, but that was the first time and we, you know, the whole like, how do you do communion in the pandemic? Like, that's a whole other conversation. I'm sure you could have a whole podcast about that. Um, but we, we uh, um, resorted to those, those little prepackaged things that I, if you'd asked me at the beginning of March, would I ever allow those? In my, I, I, I literally bake the bread for communion. You know, like this is, this is, and, you know, break it off. Like that's, that's why I said that. But I was like, in a pandemic? these are brilliant, like brilliant. Um, but we were able to, um, to share in communion together in that very odd socially distanced way. And yet it was so clear to me as I was presiding over the table, I was like, yep, I really did miss this. Right. Like even, and what was interesting to me as well is it, it wasn't about a particular sanctuary, it wasn't even honestly about a particular community because this community was new to me since pandemic. So it wasn't, you know, I think if I had been pastoring a church, you know, if I was still at the garden church, for example, I would miss communion at the garden church, but because I was in between calls and, you know, we were attending a church locally and the, the table was a more, you know, again, I'm thinking about place. It was a more generalized concept. It wasn't about mm-hmm. a particular table. It was about the table. It was about God's table. And when I had the experience of being, you know, presiding over God's table in the middle of a parking lot with people, you know, 40 feet away from me in their cars, sharing in the sacrament in this, which on paper felt like this very strange disconnected way. I was like, Oh, right here we are. And we are all connected and we are all around God's table. And I missed this, you know, this yeah. is like, yes, I really did miss this. And, and the, the, this is something that is, is that is the sacrament. It's not the specific expressions of where it was or even how it was being done that mm. mattered. Um, and that just came to me so I have a clarity about that that I didn't have before. And thinking about place, I mean, that God's table is a place. Yes. And something happens there regardless of what the physicality of the there is. I think that's really an interesting contour of place is that it's something happens there. That notes it. Like you can be in a space, you can have a location, but that something really happens there that, yeah, like something's happening all the time on like a, level of science and quirks or something that I don't know anything about but yes like we're it's like yeah something is there's a there's a genuine engagement or transaction or interaction happening there that yeah uh, I I couldn't agree more as a 
our church uses those uh, horrible little communion cups because we're a church that's about 2,000 people, you know, uh, per service. Uh, we go to a massive church. Um, I have qualms about that. But, uh, you know, now they're talking about offering drive through uh, communion where you can drive in and, and receive a blessing. And, and I'm like, yes. You know, like I was already snooty enough about the communion cups. I'm like, I'll roll my, you know, beat up old Honda yeah. through there, like, and, and get a blessing yeah. and yeah. Like, and have somebody pray, yeah. like extend hands from 10 feet away in a mask. Like I'll take it. Cause, Funny. cause it's been stripped back. Right. Hmm. It's not about yeah. so much about the trappings, but it's about the engagement that happened there. And that is also a place within a space, right? Like that's what place is. It's sort of bigger than that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. You know, I've been so, you know, every, every community, obviously it's different contexts and different places in the country. And, um, and I'm, I'm very clear. There's not like an answer of like, how do we do worship in this time? Um, within the context of, um, this is out in the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts and that this, it, it this drive-in has been just really kind of this beautiful example of the fluidity and flexibility of God's willingness to show up in sacred place. Um, mm-hmm. So this parking lot is actually the city parking lot, but it's right across a very busy road from their church. So the congregation looks at me at a table and then at the church. So it's like behind me. So that's kind of their backdrop. Um, But what it has done is extended their sanctuary across the street to this parking lot. Hmm. And and that's what it feels like. It it is actually expanded their experience of sacred space and that we can say this space, this place, this parking lot is sacred. And, and I, and I say, on one hand, it's always been sacred. It is part of God's creation, right? On one hand, God has always been accessible and here. But because we are coming here and worshiping, we are naming and claiming it of what it is, which is sacred and God is present. And that rather than it being a, well, you know, we really would rather be in our sanctuary, which there's some truth to that. I mean, that's that's a real thing. I think what it has done for the congregation has been actually to expand and say, we are seeing our neighborhood in a new way. Many people who go to this church don't actually live right there in the neighborhood. They drive from somewhere else. They're experiencing who drives by, who walks by, who stops, who doesn't, what, you know, what, what is happening in our church's neighborhood. And, my hope and prayer is that there that there will be a day where we're worshiping in their sanctuary again, but that we will not lose the knowledge and the interaction with the fact that their parking lot is part of their sanctuary and that they are part of this moving community. Hmm. And I don't know, I've been talking to different, you know, a lot of different pastors and I one of the things I've said is, you know, if even if you can't gather and even if you can't gather outdoors, encourage your congregation, you know, in family units, by themselves, however, safely, but to go and sit on the front steps of your church or sit out on the lawn, like, and pray and observe, like, this is an opportunity to notice and to expand our sanctuaries. You don't have to get rid of them, (laughs) but we can't be in them right now. But they are placed within the context of a neighborhood, which is also part of our, our call as churches is to be in our communities. And this is a beautiful opportunity to, to engage and to see that in a different way. Hmm. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That reminds me of a pastor friend of ours that said like, you know, even when this is over, the way we do church is going to be forever changed. And we want it to stay changed because what we've received in this time is something like exactly what you're saying, an expanding of sacred space. So I think once a month now, they're going to a local park and picking up trash and then doing communion or or doing communion and then picking up trash. I can't remember the order. <laughs> but I'm sure they're sanitizing their hands. Uh, yes. 
<laughs> but they would have never done that before. You know, before there was all these rules, a sense of you go to church and you have to do worship and you have to do communion and there has to be children's ministry. And now when children's ministry can't happen and when no one can eat and consume anything and it's like, okay, yeah, it creates this opportunity for creativity and David? What? I'm I'm wrestling with the question too, and this is one that may be ineffable. Maybe we don't have an answer. And well, Anna, you started to to answer some of this, so I'd be curious to hear more fully fleshed out thoughts from both of you guys. But what do you feel like makes a space sacred? Like what mm-hmm. what is it something that we can we can do that we can consecrate? To use spiritual language, is it is it ritual? Is it just what do you think? In looking back on some of the spaces maybe that you've experienced as sacred and some of the new ones that we're discovering the sacred in, you know, like Anna, you said that it's always there and available. If we think about mm-hmm. it, I'm not a big fan of, of the sacred and the profane, like that hardcore distinction. Um, it's much more permeable and porous than that. But when we think about sacred, sacred places or spaces, what makes it, how do you, how do you sort of create that? Or how do you experience what, what is it about those that mm-hmm. makes them sacred? I have no idea. So I'm just going to punt to you guys. Do you want to start, Anna? <laughs> um, sh- sure. But I w- I'd love to hear what both of you think on this question, too. Um, so one of my favorite quotes, it has been my on my email signature line for a while now, is from Madeline Langle. It says, there's nothing so secular that it cannot be sacred. And this is one of the deepest messages of the incarnation. Hmm. Um, and I think a lot about the John 1 you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was with God and God came and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. Um, so their translations of that are like God came and pitched a tent among us. There's this, this idea of the, the divine coming and being in physicality, but also in place that in the very idea of among us, that there's something place oriented in that um and you know i my in my own theology i i believe that god is is present in all that god created so that there is there is a availability of the divine everywhere and and that's important to me i think that is important to me that it's not now, I remember a, a professor in seminary, a um, homiletics professor, saying that when you do an invocation, you are not, you as the cleric do not have the power to make God appear. Mm-hmm. God is already present. It is your job to name what is true, mm-hmm. which is that God is here. And that's always stuck Amen. with me. And, there, and I think there's a, there's a difference too. I mean, especially as a as a clergy person, but I think as people and as, you know, Christians in general, that I don't have special access. Like I don't have a special pass and it's not when I say God is here, it, it's not cause I have some, some special power. You can say it, 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 it you know, cause God, God is there. But as, as a liturgical leader, as people of faith in general, I think we do have a responsibility to be attentive to it and name it. And so I wrestle with when I do an invocation at the beginning of a worship service, do my words change the space? (laughs) Or are we all changed because our attention has come to has been drawn to what is already true. Um, and I believe it's it's the second, which does not mean that it's not important to name and claim sacred space. It, in fact, I think it means it's even more important because our rituals, our, our prayers, our words, our sacraments are bringing our attention to that presence of God, to that presence of the sacred. And 
my hope is, is that as we practice that, you know, if we're coming together around the table every week to consecrate this bread and this cup and to name them as the body and blood of Christ. I mean, that's a big claim, right? <laughs> to name yes. them as this divine sacred thing, that that is a thing in itself and, and, that, and that stands in itself. And I hope it changes how I eat a peanut butter sandwich too, <sighs> right? Because when I take that bread and I make my sandwich or even more if I take it and make it for someone else, and, and give it to them, that God is in that too. And I'm not equating that they are the same. I don't think they're the same. There is something, I think there's something about our sacrament that is, hmm. that, that different, but they are connected. They are connected in that the presence of God is available and in all that God has created. And seems to me the more that we notice that and operate as if that is true the better right mm -hmm. <laughs> and 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 to treat one another as the sacred beings that we are to treat the earth as the yeah. sacred creation that it is to treat our food as this incredible miracle of sustenance that it is um hmm. so I'm kind of getting around your question, but <laughs> those are my thoughts. What makes something sacred? I think it already is sacred. And I think there's something really important about naming that and operating in mm -hmm. with, around that truth. It's Yeah, it's like what, what makes us bring awareness to that and then have remembrance of it as well, mm -hmm. right? Like where there's a memory that starts to live in a place that I think is part of feeling a space is sacred where it's been recognized so many times that you've you've called forth what was there and also experienced God, mm -hmm. right? Experienced God's goodness and presence in whatever way that's manifested, whether it's through the breaking of bread, which I love that mm -hmm. we get to do so often. It would suck if we didn't get if we just had to eat like once every two months, I think we would all be starved in so many ways, mm -hmm. you know, non physically. Uh that's very interesting. <clears throat> Brooke, you, I think two of the words that struck me what you said Anna was attention and intention and I think mm -hmm. that is really important about what you're saying is that and I think particularly for us as Americans I think us as Americans we're really relaxed and so when we come together you know we can just hours can pass of just chattiness and small talk and and it's fun I mean people are enjoying themselves but I wouldn't call it sacred I mean, it is sacred, like you're saying, and yet it's mm. not sacred because the, the kind of intention and attention to something deeper is not in that moment. And I'm not saying it's a waste, a waste, but it's different when then people come together and they're like, okay, well, we can't be in our church right now. We're in this uh, park. Yeah. And we could just chat this time away, um, as we so quickly do, often as Americans, but actually we're going to have a little intention and and we're going to bring our attention to something to the, to the sacred right now. That's what I find myself um, becoming more aware of right now, which is, uh, I think, a really helpful of what, a part of what you said, is that there's a sacredness to all these spaces, and yet we don't see them and we don't notice them or bring them to light. And, and, and uh, not doing that, they can just pass by. Because of our culture, I think, partly. Uh, because, yeah, we like to be together and we're a pretty jovial, uh, extroverted culture. But then some of that, that noticing of sacred space can just float by. <laughs> I, find, I find during this time, uh, Brooke and uh, my wife and uh, a few other people meet together a couple times a month. Like we have a little group and we're all, we're all uh, followers of Jesus. And... It's so easy. Uh, I just had a call before this, Anna, with a, a former colleague of mine, and every what you do is you talk about the pandemic, right? Yeah. And and it's good to bear witness to that, and there's something very important happening there. But sometimes it can be all you talk about. Like so, we would get together in our little group, and I was noticing like we would be together two hours, and an hour and forty minutes of it were spent kind of spinning all the different sort of 
facets and, of the pandemic, like the political and the, the health, the public health and yeah. all, you know, economic. And I would, I just got so tired of getting together under those guises. Like it's really important still, but like, I think the sacred also calls out all of us as well. Like, like there's not just one part of you that's isolated mm-hmm. and put on a pedestal or prized or der- derided even, you know, maybe the opposite. And that's a good example because we were sitting all around a bonfire and somehow that it, that normal casual space, it lended itself to that certain kind of conversation. But we were all leaving saying, I really wanted to get prayer or I really mm-hmm. wanted to, you know? Yeah. And so it took us a bumbling while to figure out, wait, we all want the same thing. We just need to make a point and notice it and put some inten- intentionality to it. And, there, and there now it's totally different. Yeah, there wasn't, because there wasn't wholeness. There was, we weren't whole people there. And I think yeah. that has to do with, with recognizing the sacred as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, sacred spaces call us out as well. Yeah. And I, I know we're, we're basically out of time, but okay. I, I had another question that I wanted to ask about how sacred spaces help identify uh, us and how we identify the other uh, and sacred spaces mm. facilitate that. So I want credit for thinking about that because I want to talk about it question. so bad. Can we talk about it another time? We, we can. <laughs> Please. Anna, would you? I'll come back. Uh, okay. Would, would, will you? Oh, yeah. oh, oh. that makes me so happy. Uh, that would be lovely. We'll, we'll drive to that <laughs> park. We'll drive to that parking lot, and we'll all record <laughs> together, safely distanced from one another. That would be fun. <laughs> Anna, um, thank you so much again for being with us today. Um, can you tell our our fine people where they can kind of follow some things about you and, and a little bit uh, about your book, uh, that, your Absolutely. wonderful book? Absolutely. So yeah, so my book is um, called "This Is God's Table: Finding Church Beyond the Walls," and you can find it. Anywhere you find books, I always uh, push finding your local bookstore and ordering it there. There's a local Blackhorn bookstore. That's awesome, too. Um, Or bookshop.org is another um, option if you don't have a local bookstore, but you want to support local bookstores. Um, Also, you can find me on social media at RevAnnaWoof. R-E-V-A-N-N-A-W-O-O-F on Facebook and Instagram and at Anna Wolf on Twitter. Um, and my website is Anna Wolfenden, A-N-N-A-W-O-O-F-E-N-D-E-N.com. Um, and I don't do a lot there these days, but you can find, <laughs> find you can find all the other information. Your history. <laughs> uh, there. Um, but yes, but, um, but yeah, again, the book title is This is God's Table, Finding Church Beyond the Walls. And um, it's been out in the world since April, beginning of the pandemic. Um, so oh, wow. I'm grateful to be able to, um, to continue to, to share about it. And I thank you all for um, bringing me into this, this space as well. Oh, thank you so much, Anna. Um, and thanks, everybody, for being with us. Brooke, we're glad you're back safe. And uh, I'm going to say happy autumn, even though it's not autumn. Although by the time this comes out, it may, it it'll may be, be closer. Thank so. you so much, Anna. Thank you, Anna. Oh, it was a pleasure. It's so wonderful to meet you both and look forward to continued conversations. Life's not a